Hey, everyone. Welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod, a special edition here in Los Angeles with Lee Jenkins, who discusses in detail his almost unprecedented move from Sports Illustrated to the front office of the Los Angeles Clippers, a writer at the very top of his craft, going into the belly of the beast, a team, one of the teams he's covered for years in the league. Lee and I get into how this came together, why he did this, and what he hopes he can contribute to this Clipper organization. Let's get right to it. Here's my visit with Lee Jenkins. Lee Jenkins of the Los Angeles Clippers, the executive director of research and identity. Can you get all that on one business card? <laughs> I think it's going to be coffee boy for Lawrence Frank. And I think he drinks enough coffee that I'll need to make a lot of runs. So There's a lot of places I want to go with you, Lee. It's, it's a remarkable story. It's really an unprecedented story. Now, we've seen people in different forms in the media move to the team side, but never someone who's at the very, very, very top of their profession as you have been and are and into a what is, you know, I think a front office role that probably needs explaining to people. It doesn't sound like a title, research and identity that people have heard before, what it's all going to mean. First, the job that's been imagined for you that you're going to do, how do you define it? How do you describe it? We did some of it uh, in a news story on .com, and you talked there about it. But you aren't leaving Sports Illustrated and leaving a career that you dreamed about, loved, to go to a team and and not have a role, I don't, I wouldn't think that's that you know exactly what it's going to be and and that it's a role of significance there. No, I think Woj, what I'm going to try to do is is really take what I've done for the last 11 years, which is put together profiles of athletes to explain a little bit more about who they are. That's the goal of every story I write: is to tell a reader a little bit more about who the person is they're watching play and. I've always believed that you could do that also for a team. Those questions are are answered all the time by scouts, by coaches, by other evaluators. But I do sometimes wonder if, you know, the way a reporter looks at a subject, the kinds of questions you ask, the different ways you kind of look at a subject, the different angles you take, if that couldn't be a compliment. And and I think it can. I think that when you when you start to dig in and you research, you know, potential players, players you have and you start to figure out a little bit more more about, about how they tick, about why they do what they do, why they play the way they play. Listen, I can't evaluate anybody. Okay. I, I, you know, if it were up to me to do evaluation, I'd probably recommend Q and D miles to come back. I mean, that, that would be so. And, and I also, I mean, I have so many blind spots, you know, analytics. There are so many areas that I, that I probably can't help them. What I'm hoping I can help with is a little bit more of the who, because I think the NBA teams have done an incredible job with the what, you know, with what players do on the floor, with how they're treated medically. Uh, what I'm going to try to help with is a little bit more of, uh, of maybe the person. We'll get into a little more of that, Lee, of the job and the different directions it may go. But listen, you've spent, especially in this modern NBA, where so much of all of our coverage and yours at SI has been built around a lot of very big decisions. LeBron James, Kevin Durant, at the time, Dwight Howard. I mean, we can go back through years yeah. here and almost every big storyline here over the last several years is built around where is somebody going next and why? Yeah. And 
you've been wrapped up in that. You've told those stories in compelling ways. Now your decision's different. Those guys weren't going to, they were going to a different team, but they were playing the same sport. Right. You're, you're going to go play a different game now right, than right. you've played. How, how did you approach this? How did it come about? Well, I mean, I think we all develop relationships doing this. And, you know, I've developed a bit of a relationship with, with Lawrence Frank and Michael Winger, their president and general manager. Really, I mean, you know, you go back because you're always interviewing people. You're always around. And some people you connect with more than other people. And it really came about, suppose I'd say kind of end of the regular season. We started talking about the potential of this. And I, I didn't necessarily think it was real. And even though I, I would never compare myself to any of those players uh, in any way, you know, I do think about that a little bit. I mean, when you're doing stories and you're sort of invested in players' decisions because you feel like you're a little bit in it with that, with them, you start to think about how they go about those things. And they do. They have way more decisions and higher stakes decisions than someone like I ever would. And, you know, the one thing I guess I thought of in regard to this was something David Griffin always says about LeBron James, and that is that he makes decisions – Almost with his six, eight, ten, twelve year old self in mind, where there's this willingness to kind of let your dreams run wild a little bit and do everything he ever kind of imagined when he was young. And when this came up, you know, I'm someone who grew up, I grew up in San Diego. I was very young when the Clippers left for LA. The Clippers, though, if I had to name a team I rooted for, it was the Clippers. Gary Grant was my favorite player. And when this came about, I thought, that is something I never would have expected. I never would have thought a team would ask me to do this. They never have. But what a tremendous opportunity to learn more about the league I cover. Because, you know, when you do what I do and you ask all these questions of all these people about what all of this is like, what all of this is like behind the scenes, what the deadline day is like and what the draft is like and what this preparation is like that they all have to go through all year. And I think, I think I get close. But I never, I never really know. And I hate being in these positions where I'm writing a story or I'm on a podcast or I'm on a TV show and I feel like I'm not, I don't really know fully what I'm talking about. And I, and to some degree, this is an opportunity I feel like to know what I'm talking about. You love your dad had worked, works in newspapers. You grew up around the business. I'm not sure you've ever imagined any life for yourself other than being a writer. And right. like, I think a lot of guys, I think you're tortured by the process, but you, I think Red Smith have the great line, right? Mm. I hate writing, but I love having written. That's Maybe right. Red Smith didn't say that. That's right though. I mean, that's like, it's like running yeah. a marathon, probably not that I could ever run a marathon, but yes, it's right. probably yeah. like that. Was that the biggest, I mean, to do it better than anybody else in our business does it on the NBA oh, and, and you've written a lot, you. you've written about a lot of other sports. You still write about other sports. But there's cachet in this league. I know it firsthand when we're trying to compete for stories. There's nothing more to an NBA star player in the NBA or an executive or a coach, a Lee Jenkins written profile. When you're going to come to town and do a piece, that trumps anything else any of us can do. And I know you don't take that lightly. To me, that was my biggest question with this is not so much what you're going to. I see where that's fascinating, but what for you you're walking away from. No, I haven't held another job really since I was 15 years old. This is all I've done is write stories about, about players. And, you know, part of it is walking away from that, which is, you know, a big part of your identity. Another part is just, 
it, the biggest part probably is just where I worked and the people I worked with, you know, my editor, Chris Stone, Mark Bechtel, Matt Dollinger, Stephen Canella, the people I'm leaving, the other writers there, it, it was it was the job I dreamed of when I was so young was the chance to write for Sports Illustrated, and I got to do it for 11 years, eight of them writing about the NBA, and it's an immense privilege. And I and I wouldn't do it, Woj, unless I just felt like – I just felt like it was a way to kind of re- – Really learn more about what I do cover because what it does when you're in this and you, you do these stories and you ask these people questions, all it leads to is more questions. All it does is pique more curiosity and you kind of want to get deeper and deeper into it and dig into it. And look, you get as close to, you know, the it, the truth of it as anybody. And sometimes I would sit there and feel, and feel as though I just wasn't getting close enough. And there's really no way I don't, I didn't feel to learn about it unless I completely immerse myself in it. And so this is a way through immersion, I feel like. And, and that's so much of what we do is you're a professional learner, right? It's like you throw yourself into a subject. For me, it would often be a player, but you throw yourself into a subject and you just try to become an expert on it as fast as you can. And are you ever a true expert? No. Um, but I, you know, I'm hoping that I'm able to get up to speed quickly enough just through some of those sorts of skills. I imagine you're going in, Lee, with the idea of, you know, you'll sign a contract here, whatever the length of it is. Life in the NBA, working for teams can be volatile. It can change yeah. organizations. There's turnover. There's turnover in our business, our industry. There's no sure thing anywhere, right. anywhere. But is part of your thinking going in that if I do come back out and I come back and do this job again in some shape or form, I come back with a deeper knowledge, a better understanding I'll be a better writer, reporter, voice on particularly this sport, but probably any pro sport because I'm doing this however long, whatever the duration of this job. For sure. For sure. There's no – I mean I think we all kind of need to – constantly continue education. And when you're like me and you're a little, you know, you basically do sort of one thing, you profile players. Yes. I mean, we all have to expand, especially in this business that's constantly changing. So there's no doubt that a lot of this is just the education of it, the adventure of it, the fun of it. I mean, part of what appeals to me about this is sort of the unknown of it. And, you know, knowing that I'm embarking on this great adventure with, just with people I really respect and really believe in. And in a lot of ways, I just feel like it's a great bet. You know, when you think about Steve Ballmer owning this team and Jerry West and Lawrence Frank and and Michael Winger, I mean, maybe the best negotiator in the league, Trent Redden and Mark Hughes, you know, two of the best evaluators in the league, and a championship coach in Doc Rivers who you know, I know as a writer has really one of the most magnetic presences in the league. They're at a unique point where they have so many built-in advantages. I mean, between the market and the owner, they have these advantages to, I believe, tell, to author one of the great sports stories ever and to have a chance to be part of that because I think you know, you can tell a great story without writing it. There are ways to build it behind the scenes. There are things that you can do, and I guess I just saw the opportunity to tell to help tell a great story in a completely different way. And you mentioned – Sort of that telling of that Clippers story and the Clippers have fought perceptions for a very long time. They're the second team. You covered the Mets as a beat writer (laughs) for the New York Times. You've seen it in a different sport, Yankees, Mets. It's, there's some comparisons there. Your ability to tell stories, to shape stories, 
how do you think they, in the way you've described it to me, and is people aren't going to see by Lee Jenkins anywhere. Your byline is not going to appear. You're not there to be a writer. You're there to take your sensibilities as a writer. Uh, maybe there's ways in which you shape stories internally, but is your sense one of the things that they were drawn to with you is to be able to help narrate that story at a time when we all know what the summer of 2019 means for the Clippers. Two max salary slots and free agency, a lot of big names out there. Like you're walking in at a pretty significant crossroads for, for the organization. No, it's a great time and there's tons of opportunity in front of them. And that's why I think they put, they put the, the word identity in that title is, you know, they are, they haven't, they have this owner who has incredible resources, incredible passion. They're in this market that I think everybody agrees is, is probably the most appealing market for NBA players. But they're building more. They're building an identity on top of that and trying to kind of dovetail the identity of their players with the identity of that team and really build more calling cards. I mean, they're, they have a plan in place and, you know, getting to go through this process, you get to see elements of it to make the Clippers really the ultimate destination for players, a, a place where you know, players can really grow and prosper, where they can be themselves, where, you know, there's a, where it's a very real environment for them in terms of, you know, we're not going to, they won't ask you to kind of conform to anything else, to conform to an organizational identity or model. It is a place where they can come and, and really flourish on, you know, some of their own terms, um, while continuing to improve. So no, I, I, the whole time I felt like it's, is it the forever underdog, the Clippers? Yeah, in some ways it is. But when you kind of step back and you look at it, it's really kind of an inevitable underdog because they have they have an immense advantages when you compare them to you know what maybe the typical underdog might be. I think the job you had, especially Lee, as a magazine writer, there's a lot of alone time. You're out, you go out on the road, you spend time with a subject, people around him or her, and then you're you know locked up either in a hotel room for a couple of days yeah. writing or back at your house. In a lot of ways, it's very much an individual sport. You're kind of like a cornerback out on the island, one-on-one. Like, I know you feel strongly about the group you had at SI and the people you worked with, but in the end, like, and editors can help you with a story, but ultimately you're on your own with the words and what you've reported and gathered and how do I turn this into something compelling. And now this is very much a team sport. What yeah. you're going into is a team collaborative atmosphere, which... To me, that's as much of a change as the actual craft changing, leaving the craft itself from an individual sport to a team sport. Well, that's that's the best part of it, right? I mean, that's kind of – that to me is the no-brainer. Like the idea of you know, sort of working alone and being this constant solo act, I'd prefer – I'd prefer the comfort of a team. I mean, there's a, there can be a self-aggrandizing nature to our business that isn't probably our best foot forward. Uh, and we know when you're part of this and you're collaborating with, with people of this caliber, for one thing, it's a tremendous advantage. It's also a lot of fun. So that, and you know, it's like I had this moment going through the process. The Clippers have this, um, they have this great, this great analytics kind of strategist. His name's Greg Pine. And they also have D Brown, who's, you know, really one of the great player development leaders, I think, in the NBA. And I, I was watching them talking and I'm thinking, you know, where else does a slam dunk champion and an astrophysicist 
sit down and have a conversation and there's complete respect going back and forth and total camaraderie and and I'm just watching this and thinking that that is unique to an NBA front office and I don't know if it's unique to the Clippers front office, perhaps it is, but it was just sort of a snapshot of, you know, how could you not want to be a part of that? How could you not want, how could you not feel like you could learn a ton out of that and, and really sort of expand the way you look at all of this? So, you know, there's so, been so many moments like that through it where it's not just being part of a team. I think it's being part of, of that team of people and seeing kind of, you know, how capable they are and, how confident they are that what they're going to do is is build something that that really could be pretty special. It could be something you look back on as a as one of those achievements that can't be replaced. Lee, when Lawrence Frank and Mike Winger came to you with the idea of a job, a position, how much did it evolve from what they first brought to you? And then as you guys started talking about it and maybe they got your input, you guys went back and forth, how much did it change from when you accepted it? It didn't change all that much. I mean, there was a little bit of, you know, there's the part about the people, about kind of digging into to players and sort of exploring who they are, you know, from that point, potential players, players you have. And then there's also the other side of it is probably a little bit more about kind of the Clippers larger story, right? And their, and their identity that they're, that they're really trying to build moving forward. So I guess that those two different sides were something that, you know, was sort of merged as time went on. But a lot of this is really, a lot of this comes down to how you connect with people and who you think you can work with and them feeling, and they might be crazy, like they could work with me and my knowing early on that it was a, would be a real treat and a real privilege to work with them. I mean, these are just, these are two people when you're in a room with, it's like, the ideas that they, that are flying around and you're just kind of trying to keep up and you feel pushed. You feel pushed to kind of match their level when it comes to, you know, some of these are pie in the sky ideas about things the team could do. Some of them are, you know, way more manageable. Um, and to a certain degree, Woj, this, there's going to be trial and error to this. You know, I don't, I can't tell you exactly the way everything will look in, in four months and six months and a year, but I have so much faith in them. I have so much faith in Lawrence and Michael because I've gotten to be around them and see the way they work and see the way they think. And by osmosis, I just think it will, it, it, I, I will be the better for it. Lee, you said something earlier about you are not an evaluator of talent. No. You don't fancy yourself that. You are not somebody who said, well, I could do that. I could draft <laughs> players. And we have heard plenty of people in our industry who think they could do the jobs of the people we cover. I've always felt like I have enough trouble mastering mine than to think I could do somebody right. else's. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to evaluate. There's going to be fair criticism, hopefully informed criticism at times, or that it's not always just second-guessing. Well, that draft pick didn't work. Right. Really, who would you have picked? You know, it's easy to do that <laughs> yeah. in retrospect, and it's an imperfect science. But you're not coming at this with, boy, I always imagined – Boy, I, I just could get into an organization. And I've seen guys in our industry for years who have tried to do that and um, probably without much success. And like, this was not something you ever thought of even pursuing it. No. It came to you. Yeah. I mean, there's, I don't know if there's an NBA job fair, but I wouldn't have attended. <laughs> it's, um, you know, and I, I mean, one thing you learned kind of from being around these people too is like, I'm not going to be a general manager. That's not happening. You know, I'm not going to be assisted GM. I mean, this is very much, it, it's, 
it's a narrow focus and it's something that it's been where I, I feel like there's a way that I can help. I, I think there's something I can do for them, but it's a compliment. It's a compliment to what they already do, to what their evaluators do, what their scouts do. And it may be a different way of looking at it. I, you know, you look at some of these great organizations. I remember doing a story about the Thunder and meeting all these different people who had these vastly different experiences. The day I was there, as day I was touring the Thunder facility, I met somebody who I believe had just gotten off a submarine. Like he had been, he had been on a submarine for six months and then Sam Presti hired him to work for the Thunder. And it was, and he was going to bring an entirely different perspective. And I think in, in some ways when you're around all of these different players and all of these different coaches and you've had kind of the, the privilege of that kind of access, that le- high level access, you can't help but absorb some of that knowledge for yourself. You're trying to get it all out on the page as much as you can. You're trying to have it enrich your story, but some of it lives inside of you and just sort of shapes the way you think about things. I spent some time in the, in the spring. Mike D'Antoni and the Rockets coaches generously let me sit in on coaches meetings all leading up to their first and during the first part of their first round series against Minnesota. And you're sitting in there and you're thinking, wow, so this is the way they see that. And that's the way they put that together. And this is what they think of, of different players and how you build a guy up. And, and, and clearly I'm not, I won't have any kind of, you know, any sort of I also have no aspirations to be in any kind of coaching role or development role or anything like that, but it just can't help but I think change the way you, the way you look at people, the way you look at situations within the league and, and maybe you're able to come with a different perspective when you're in these meetings and you're collaborating with people who are a whole lot smarter than you and a lot more experienced than you. And, and listen, well, to some degree, like I'm uncomfortable with the attention I'm even getting from this because I don't deserve it. I understand that there's a novelty to this, but the people who deserve it are the people who have been in there doing it in the trenches in complete anonymity and who have already been building, who've already been building this, who've you know been creating the flexibility that the Clippers have moving forward, who have been scouting Shea Gilgis, Alexander, and Jerome Robinson, who have done all of this work. And that's why it's even a little... It's obviously – I understand that there's a novelty to it, um, but it's also a little bit uncomfortable. You mentioned the work that goes into – you mentioned the two lottery picks with the Clippers. Do you imagine that there might be some value? The way you might go to a hometown of a player and tell his story, right. um, report out, whether it's with family, friends, or wh- whomever, the player himself, that there are questions that a journalist is going to ask – and places that you have learned in your experience gets people to open up or that you sense are important to the person that builds the trust to get doors to open and you get a better window into who this is and what makes the game really important to them or maybe not as important as it, whatever it is, that that's a tool you bring to them to go anywhere. And it may not just be domestically, it could be anywhere in the world to go and bring that back in your notebook to the organization the way you brought it back in your notebook to write a profile in a magazine. I'm not sure it'll play out exactly that way. I, I, Lawrence likes to say, he says, find a way. And that's something I think of sometimes when I'm writing a piece, I think, who is he and find a way to find out. And you know, so you, so you dig, you dig. And I think information is valuable in our business. I think it's valuable in their business too. I think presentation, expression, all of that 
has a place, right, in probably every field. And our, in our field, it's probably magnified the most. Um, but I think there is, like every player has a story and you're try and every team has a story and you're trying to kind of, I think in some way blend those, those two things together and find ways that you can help players tell their story, whether it's through media or just through having the, having the tools in place within your organization to accomplish those goals, to find out how they're wired. What do they want? How do they want to get there? Well, what can we do to help them? And that's a lot of what, what this organization, what the Clippers are trying to do is create an environment where all of that can come true, where you can be the best version of yourself. And I've seen the plans. I know that they, I know that they have it in them to do it. I know they're, they're building it as we speak. And I think I'd probably be maybe a small part of helping lay that out and hopefully helping make it come to fruition. You're still saying they, I know it'll be we <laughs> soon, but that's got to yeah, be that's in a journalist itself, thing. right? Right, like that's, right. I only say right. we, yeah, I only say we for the Padres. Yeah, I got I got to get used <laughs> Vanderbilt, to that. Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt and the Padres, yeah. yeah. I'll, exp- I'll expand that by one, yeah. <laughs> um, when you're making this decision, my sense was you kept the circle pretty tight, this right. stayed very quiet for Tried, yeah. a long time. Were you limited where you could go? To ask for advice or yes. to yes, and did that make it more looking back make it more or less difficult? Well, to because make you're decision? trying to find out a little bit of like what's it like working for an NBA team, but you never want anybody to think <laughs> you're looking for a job. So it, it is awkward, and I also wouldn't want you know you never want your colleagues or people you work with to think you're leaving this business that you love so much. I mean, I've, I've just loved every minute of working at Sports Illustrated and of, and of being a sports writer. But I just kept coming back to, this has never happened before, for me at least. It will probably never happen again. And it's, it's one of those chances to kind of see what you can do. See if the gifts you have in one area can translate to another. And, I don't know the answer to that. I don't totally know if they if they will or they won't, but I have faith that some of what we've talked about, you know, when we talk about like digging into kind of players' backgrounds and stories and finding information and presenting it and, you know, coming at things from a little bit of a different angle. Because when you're a journalist, you're kind of a chameleon. You know, the way you talk to people is different and the way you sort of, you know, the way you kind of ingratiate yourself in different people's lives is it's kind of ever changing. And the belief that some of those skills can carry over into another area is something that I've kind of always wanted a place to bet on. And, and this was, I felt the perfect place to do it. What was your first SI cover story? The first story you wrote that made it was a mess. I was struggling. I was really struggling. I was uh, I, when I got there, I was they had me be an NFL writer, and it was not going well at all. And I actually thought I might have to leave. Um, I'd come from the New York Times and go back to the New York Times. And the baseball editor at the time was Chris Stone, who now runs the whole place. And he he said. And it reminds me of an NBA coach. It's like when someone's struggling, what they try to get him like a touch in their, in their sweet spot, right? Um, so he, he gave me a Mets story, a Johan Santana story, cause that's a team I covered as a beat writer. And now, yeah, that was my first cover. I remember they brought in the palm trees at the, at spring training weren't good enough in Port St. Lucie. They didn't like the look of the palm trees. So they imported other palm trees to replace the existing palm trees um, for the cover. And that's the first time I thought, wow, I'm, 
I'm in a magazine now. Yeah, like they don't like the button. Florida palm trees. They have to bring in palm trees that will different the, different the, budgetary different budget in our yes. entire industry different budgetary constraints. <laughs> and Johan Santana, I remember that he he really uh, he he really loved the photographer's assistants also. So it was a different approach on a few levels. Our business has changed so much, yeah. and what we imagined. When we were kids growing up in it, what we imagined doing and where we imagined, how we imagined doing it is all changed with none of this. The job I have now didn't really exist when I was young. It's not what I imagined, but it morphed into it. Well, it's because you created it. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that, but, (laughs) but what did exist and what continues to exist and what remained iconic, no matter what changes in our industry, no matter what SI.com's traffic would be or however many magazines, wherever subscriptions were, whatever any of it looked like. To me, one of the most incredible things has remained that getting on that cover for an athlete or a coach or a team, to me, that remained unchanged. You know better than anybody because you walked in the doors and talked with guys, sat down with them for that story. But I'm still not sure it's changed. And you brought no. value to it. People wanted you to tell their story too. But I, to me, that's, I still think, one of the more remarkable constants in the whole sports no, and it's industry. Funny we're talking a lot about, you know, player stories. And I think about sometimes I think they will sort of envision what it looks like, right? What being an NBA star looks like. And I'm sure I mean I don't know this for a fact. I've sort of had some of these conversations casually with players, but you know, there's a I think they imagine the night of the draft and they imagine kind of that welcome to the NBA moment. They might imagine their first game at Staples. They imagine sort of, I think sometimes the car they'll drive or things about the lifestyle. But I think one of those tokens, I think one of those elements is being on the cover of Sports Illustrated, you know, right there with, you know, winning MVP or winning a championship or whatever it is. I think it's one of those snapshots that's in a player's mind's eye. At least I hope it is when, you know, when they sort of set out to do this and look, getting to be one of the people, and there are a lot of people who wrote those stories was a real treat. But, you know, what for me was the biggest treat is, is what it afforded you. It affords you access. And so much of our business comes down to the access because that's when you learn. That's when you sit there with these people who are geniuses at what they do and you are talking to them about their craft, about their process. And when you leave it, you have a certain amount that you're able to put on the page and a certain amount that never gets put on the page. And, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of repeating myself here, but, you know, I feel like I've been able to sort of, you know, I don't journal, but I keep those notes. You know, you keep those notes for what people say about, you know, what are the qualities that make someone great? Like if LeBron James were sitting here and we said, well, what's, you know, what do you think is a distinguishing factor in like an elite athlete? I don't know what he would say, but I think he'd say, well, I rem- you remember everything, right? You have this amazing memory. Like LeBron's memory is in- insane. Peyton Manning's memory is like that. The great golfers are like that. So there are, there are just things you learn along the way. I think about what distinguishes that high echelon level of player. You mentioned getting to know Lawrence Frank, Mike Winger, yeah. uh, specifically Lawrence, the president, Mike's the GM, and, and, and obviously they're working hand in hand. Both knew Lawrence was a coach for a very long time and moved into the front office. And anybody who knows Lawrence knows a tremendous appetite for information and learning. And I, you know, I know he goes all over the world to meet with people, understand how different people do things in all walks 
of life, not just sports. And, and Mike Winger comes from Oklahoma City, where he certainly did a lot of that with Sam Presti in that organization and Cleveland before that. What has it been like, and you talk about liking the idea of being part of a team and wanting to do this with people you want yeah. to work with and geography. You, people may not know this. You live in LA. Uh, you live, uh, you know, I think a stone's throw from UCLA. Right. Um, you're not moving somewhere to LA. And I would, would imagine that was a part of it too. You didn't have to uproot your family to do this. Yeah. I mean, it was, look, this was a unique situation. I mean, in so many ways, but, and that's when it all kind of lined up geographically, the team. And I feel like just a tremendous upside that that organization has. And then, and then, yeah, the people, I mean, you know, Lawrence Frank, and it's like, it's kind of speaks to the vision of Steve Ballmer and the creativity he has and, and the way that he, you know, will kind of think of kind of anyone. He'll look at someone doing one thing and think, well, he could do this other thing. And I mean, I'm the latest evidence of that, but so is Lawrence. I mean, Lawrence was a coach. And when I hear Lawrence and he'll be talking about the future of this team, you feel almost like you're in a locker room, like you're in that Nets locker room with, with Jay Kidd and those guys because it's inspiring. I mean, he's a motivational, he's a motivational presence in a lot of ways. And he also is so self-deprecating that he's able to keep this, you know, this guy who works insane hours. And we're talking about like, you know, up at five in the morning, 445 every day, Starbucks at five in the office. I mean, he was, you know, just recently, he's out there rebounding for Jerome Robinson. This is the president of basketball operations, and he's rebounding for a guy who's going into his rookie year. So, I mean, his – just the way that he is kind of able to put himself on everybody's level, you know, throughout the organization, it's just somebody you want to work for. And then Michael Winger, totally different skill set. But you look at how well this team has kind of managed itself – really going back to the Blake Griffin trade and how well they have cleared cap space and got themselves in a position, made those draft picks, created a competitive team, really created a team with identity, with real toughness a year ago, but also positioning themselves for the future. And a lot of that goes back. It goes back to Mike Winger. I mean, I listen to those guys talk sometimes and you know, the journalist in me is like, oh, that's a good quote. I got to <laughs> scribble that thing down. And I'll sometimes like, I'm like, I'll sneak it away, you know, and a notepad in my back pocket. And then I go, I can't, I, I can't use that anymore. Like I actually, <laughs> I got to work with these guys now. So it, it's sort of a, you know, you're kind of caught between two different places and they're not the only, you know, they're not the only ones. I mean, there are just, there are so many different people like that. I've met in the organization guys like Judd Winton and Matt Elijah and Julian Applebaum. And there, there are just so many people there who, uh, you know, you just are constantly learning from and thinking, well, if he's kind of raising the bar this way, how can I do it in my small space? Lee, this is, uh, this is a remarkable story. Again, really unprecedented, at least in this modern age. I can't think of a comparable to what you've done. Uh, I think it takes a lot of courage and, yeah, I think Thanks. both worlds, I think both our profession and, and people in the league are, they're going to watch this. They're going to see how it's going to go and, and they're going to see if you can fit executive director <laughs> of research and identity onto a business card. Yeah. Have you ever had a business card before? Yeah, I have a business. You don't have a business card? You don't need a business card. It just has like a, a bomb asked, emoji on no, it. No, I've asked for one and I never, I think there's something, I shouldn't be blaming this. I've asked for one, but I think there's something I've got to fill out and I've been there, what, a year plus? I haven't done it. So I think um, I need I'm going to need maybe Jimmy Goldstein's business card. Has he ever <laughs> given you his business card? It's it's like eight by ten or something. No, it's it's 
It's enormous. I mean, you can't fit it in your pocket. So I'm going to, I'll need that to, uh, to fit all the wording, but you know, I, I think it's going to be, I'm going to be professional helper in whatever way I can. I don't know that the title will, will mean a thing. Well, I appreciate you doing this, Lee. Good luck. You're headed into the heart of darkness. Like, let me know when you come back out the other side. Let me know how it went. I will. Thanks so much, Woj. I appreciate you doing this. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, the Los Angeles Clippers, Lee Jenkins. It'll take some time to get used to saying that. Remember, you can subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your shows. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to your shows. We'll be back with another edition of the Woj Pod this week. We'll catch you then.